Hello and welcome to Eventful, the podcast for meeting professionals. I'm your host, Lauren Edelstein with North Star Meetings Group. Eventful, the podcast, is our way of inviting you to join some of the interesting conversations we have with people in our business about topics that really should be on your radar. I look forward to hearing what you think, and please be sure to subscribe. Hello, I'm Sarah Braley, Managing Editor for North Star Meetings Group. At Meeting Professionals International's recent World Education Congress, I got to sit down with President and CEO Paul Vandeventer to talk about the organization's last two plus years and how the pandemic has changed the structure and focus of MPI. Nice to see you, Paul. Nice to see you as well, always. <laughs> nice to be in the same room, yeah, right? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's been too long. Um, so how hard was it to keep MPI relevant in the past two years? Keeping MPI relevant was not the challenge. It was keeping MPI financial sustainable was the challenge. COVID actually demonstrated the importance of organizations like MPI and the value of a community like MPI. And in a difficult time like we just went through, MPI was more relevant than ever. The, the opportunity to bring resources, to bring educational tools, to help people change direction or to grow. And, and in many cases, we even provided emotional support. That was critical. And so that pointed to a relevancy that we had not had before. Similar to, I think, the relevancy of the business events industry. By its absence, people realized how critical business events were. And the ROI story we've been trying to tell for years has now been told for us. The relevancy of associations, at least specific to what MPI has been doing, I think that story, that value story was told very well by the people who needed MPI and then how they've been telling that story of the value they got out of MPI over the last two years. And how the people in the C-suite at corporations and other organizations around the world realized that without getting their people together face-to-face, that they were losing some very important collaboration time and because it just doesn't work the same way on Zoom. Yeah, and organizations definitely have taken a more pragmatic approach to the importance of the investment in business events, whether that is from a marketing and sales perspective, whether it's from a team building and culture, and I think that's one where it's really coming to light, Mm -hmm. whether it's from a sales and business development or purely the innovation. I think so many companies, and you've been hearing different CEOs talking in the news lately, Howard Schultz most recently from Starbucks, about how we've lost our innovative edge. Without having people together, without having that face-to-face interaction, we don't have the creativity we've had in the past. Now, you mentioned that it was hard to keep financially relevant or financially stable. And I think that that's probably a story for a lot of, or most of, associations over the past two years. How were you able to handle that? Yeah, we're definitely not in an unusual situation. Uh, For-profits, not-for-profits, we all had very similar challenges. If And the depth of those challenges depended on the industry. So some industries, if, if you happen to be in a technology space that supported virtual online events, you, the, the pandemic was great for you. Uh, if you're in a, uh, a medical field, the pandemic had some very good benefits. 
but if you happen to be in hospitality, and specifically maybe in the cruise industry or business events, the, the revenue spigot shut off 100%. Everything was shut down completely. We are so dependent on two major revenue streams. One is membership dues, and the other is our partner support. Both of those became threatened very quickly. And we looked at that quickly up front. So we need to make some difficult decisions with always with the primary consideration that we have to make sure MPI gets through this. MPI has been around and relevant and delivering extremely important value for, at that point, 48 years. And we set that goal up front to say, how do we make sure we can get through this and turn over an organization that can then support people for another 50 years? And it might be smaller, it might look different coming out of it, but all of our decisions have to be based around getting us through this. The second part of it, not necessarily secondarily, is how do we help our community get through this? And if we can take any available resource, whether that's financial or staff or otherwise, and put that into supporting the community, that's going to have equity payoff down the road. So first, make sure we make the right critical decisions, tough decisions to support cash, liquidity, and the balance sheet, because that was about paying the bills. And we, we cut in a lot of places, including staff, and that was all very hard. But we also continued to deliver value back and opened up, ungated all of our education and made it free for the community, because that's what people needed. We uh, accelerated our scholarship programs, helped 3,100 members financially to get through uh, the pandemic with our foundation giving $1.2 million out back to the community. And how was that given back? What was it was all direct support, whether it's free membership so they can continue to interact with the community and networks, educational programs, mm -hmm. um, conferences, so supporting people to continue to be part of the community and interact. Mm -hmm. So all that happened. We were then very fortunate that we're US based. Yeah. And the US government became very proactive and developed some very strong financial support programs for companies across the U.S. Uh, at first, organizations like ours were not included. And thanks to a lot of great lobbying and advocacy efforts, 5013Cs and 5136s were included. We were prepared to go much deeper in the cuts we had to make. Because of the U.S. federal support, we ended up being able to manage a, with an organization that benefited from that government and really put us in a position now coming out of it where our balance sheet looks better than I thought it was going to be oh, 18 great. months ago. And, and, and have you been able to staff back up? Have you needed to staff back <coughs> up yet? So we, we, ha we have not. We came into this, the pandemic, with about 80 full-time staff. We uh, downsized to 50 we didn't just cut staff. We actually stepped back for two months and redesigned our entire organization. Interesting. And we designed the organization to say, we want to have an organization that has a core set of strategic thinkers and, and really strong managers. And then design behind them or supporting them a flexible organization that you can use contractors, outsource work, partners mm -hmm. to flex with. So while we've been maintaining around that 50, we've built up a much stronger base of external support now. And I don't see that 
50 number necessarily changing too much, even as our revenues come back. We believe we built a design that can sustain itself with a staff of 50 to 60 with a much more flexible workforce outside it. That's fascinating. How about your personal experience through all of this as the, the leader of an association, as the person who's the... <clears throat> You know, the buck stops at you and all this. Uh, if I, if I, let me start with the personal, personal side. And I, sometimes I feel guilty about this. The, the pandemic was one of the better things that happened to me in my life. And, and the, I think there's lots of stories like yeah, that. And, yeah. and there's a few things that came out of it. For, you know, I was a father of five children who worked in an industry where you were gone a lot. I missed a lot. And all five of them were now adults. And with the pandemic they all came back home. And so we had a house full of our children who are now adults, but the family was together. And for the first two months, we had family dinners every night. And um, I can't point at a time, any time in my life I've had that. So that was wonderful. So we, we got to spend a lot of time as a family and unique time where you know they're in different stages of their lives. So it was really nice. From a personal business perspective, it was very challenging and, and I had a dual challenge going on at the beginning of COVID. I, I was the CEO of MPI, which had its own uh, leadership challenges. We had to rethink and reimagine an organization. We had to understand the financial model that we had to get through and, and build the right financial plan. And we had to ensure we're supporting our community and giving back. So, And then you're taking a team from 80 to 50, so you're making sure you have the right team. You're keeping them engaged. The 50 that you have, how do you support them through this? So there was a lot going on there. But I also had the role as the volunteer chair of the event industry council. Mm, right. So I'm then stepping back into that on a daily basis at certain points about how do I help lead this organization of 35 other associations together through the pandemic and how can we leverage EIC to help a much broader community within the industry. So those two together, it was, and, I, and I, you know, I'm not a, this isn't a woe is me because many, many people are going through this. But there was a lot of stress. There was a lot of, a lot of work going on around it. But in the evenings, it was very nice to go do puzzles with my kids or sit outside in the backyard and tell stories. So there was that, that was a nice break in it all, and it was a good balance. I think we learned a lot from the type of education and the that we were putting on during the pandemic, the Zoom events um, that that showed us that people, you know, really are only paying attention for X amount of time on a Zoom. But I think it changed how education is presented. And I also think it made people start thinking about how they design their events and and how that can be brought into an in-person, in-person situation. So how has what we've learned from the pandemic shaped an event like WEC? Well, if you, if you hearken back to pre-pandemic, when you start saying PP, in a simplistic way, people looked at you, you had an in-person event or you had a hybrid virtual event. And in, in true reality, that, that was that the whole hybrid virtual was sort of a wild, wild west. It was a new world. It was a slowly developing technology. It was a slowly developing skill set around how to design those events. The pandemic forced an acceleration of that learning curve. And it took a small group of professionals and 
Instead, every professional, if you want to stay in the industry, had to learn how to be relevant in that market, understand technology, mm-hmm. and really, most importantly, understanding design and production, because it's a whole different side. So that learning started going on. We shut down all in-person. Now in-person starts slowly coming back. And, and I think the first reaction to everyone was, well, I had an in-person event, I had a digital event, I'll just do them both. And quickly learned that that is actually twice as much work. I don't have the resources. I might not be delivering fully on either of them because I'm sacrificing. And what we're now seeing is truly what we used to call hybrid, I think is just the future. That most in-person events will have an element of digital connection. And, and it'll also utilize that to extend the event. It'll get people engaged earlier. It'll get people engaged who may not happen to attend the whole thing or be able to, or that particular time couldn't make it. And it'll also extend learnings with what you record and make available afterwards. So I think it's a world where they're both going to come together and the challenge is going to be how you do that without doubling the resources to make it happen and how you leverage the technologies in a more synchronistic and seamless way so that whether you're digital throughout or in person throughout or you go back and forth between the two, you're not really seeing a difference in the experience. Do you, uh, is there something you feel you can point to at what we've been doing here that, that was sprung out of what we've learned? We, our research for years, when we talk about why do you attend an event, the, the number one reason by far was always the educational content. And then somewhere down, you would have various second priorities, usually networking. We saw a complete flip. Networking by far is the most important reason people want to attend an event right now. So the way we designed WEC this year was which much more open time. A lot, while we still have some very traditional breakouts, uh, more and more of our breakouts and the learning sessions were interactive. We even pushed our main stage to try to become more interactive, although that's always tough with 2,000 people. But it's definitely, we steered more towards a interactive networking base within content and education underneath that. The, and the other big change for us, and I'm seeing this across our research and talking to colleagues, is we shortened WC. Mm-hmm. Uh, we took a full day out of our traditional event. And uh, people are saying, well, I want to be together. I don't have the amount of time I used to. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I want to get is a clear understanding of what I'm going to do when I'm there. So help me plot my experience, help me prioritize what I'm going to do when I'm there, and then help me with the follow-up of how I get value out of afterwards. And you can see a lot of the design here in the app, in the educational program, all filled, fit into those priorities. And I, personally, I find the, a little bit more time between sessions, a little more time to be able to either chat with somebody that you just sat next to and find out more about them or something like mm-hmm. that. I think it's, even from a wellness standpoint, it's, it's a little bit more welcoming than yes. just like, okay, I've got to go now. Yes, it is. <laughs> it is. As an association, and I, you know, as an association that speaks to other associations, what do you think was the most important thing that you learned about running an, an association for you know for the future for going ahead i think one of the biggest learnings for associations who weren't there yet and I, I will say that with with mpi and our board 
in some ways we had already reached that point, but associations all quickly learn that they are a business and mm. they have to run it like a business. You can't give value back to your membership if you're not there anymore. And associations had gotten caught into a, a rinse, wash, repeat type cycle. Uh, and many of them had to reinvent themselves. And they, I think it's going to be better overall for associations going forward and for those who belong to them. Mm. The other day during the press conference, you shared some lofty goals mm-hmm. for the next couple of years for MPI. How do you reach those? How do you? Yeah, well, we, uh, we've, we did spend, uh, we, at the beginning of the COVID, at the beginning of the pandemic, we were in the process of developing an updated strategic plan. We actually used the pandemic as a reason to accelerate those discussions as opposed to put them on hold. So while we were doing all of our triage and our, our, our planning to make through the pandemic, we said, let's make sure the decisions we make are built around the future MPI. Mm-hmm. And that's when I, you know, from one example, I was just talking about the staffing and the, and the organizational design. With the board and our, our senior staff, we spent a lot of time, about six months pre-COVID, doing research, engaging with current members, past members, and non-members about what they're looking for from an association, what they're looking for from MPI. We also looked at what we would need to do to survive in order to provide value to what they're looking for. So it's kind of a combination, and it really set us up well then when the pandemic came to say, let's continue pushing this, and let's leverage this as an opportunity to accelerate those discussions. So we've defined what we want MPI to be, and then we said, let's put some metrics around it, because how are we going to know if we're getting there, and what are we going to head towards? And we put a series of aspirational goals together around uh, what we'd like MPI to look like in 2027. Mm-hmm. And then we've backed into that year by year for each of these key metrics, what we need to achieve to get there, and we can test if we're on track or not, or if it's still relevant, and then we can always alter course. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean those will end up being the final metrics in 2027. It doesn't mean they're actually the right ones. But as we sit today looking forward, we think they're really important. We have our staff understands them, and they're committed to them. And we're now building all of our planning around that. And it, it seems to resonate and link very closely to what we heard from the market and what they want MPI to be. Mm-hmm. And, and a big shift in that is moving away from the concept of membership being the core and more of community being the core. People coming into the industry new, younger generations, they don't necessarily view associations and memberships the way others have in the past. But they view community as being extremely important and critical to what they want to achieve in their professionals and their personal life. So how do we start with creating a much stronger, broader community? And then as you engage in that community at many levels, membership may become part of that. But it doesn't have to be the entry point. In some points, it's more of a maturation point in your, in your community experience. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Do you have a bold prediction for the industry for where for how it's going to go forward, for how it's going to... I mean, there's still stuff to weather. We don't know whether there's going to be a recession. We don't know how all of the inflationary problems are going to play out. The the most pressing challenge right now is a workforce shortage, which is so ironic to think that a year ago our most pressing challenge was to get any business. When I look forward... It, you know, it's, it's not bold, I don't think, to say I, this business is not just going to 
fully recover, it's going to recover in an accelerated manner. We came into um, the pandemic on a an extremely strong economic run as an industry. Mm-hmm. Um, eight, nine years of positive growth. We, we took a big step backwards, and we're starting to see all that pressure built up, uh, starting to return business. But I think when it comes back, because of all those lessons learned around the value of face-to-face, the reinforcement of face-to-face, and it's not just the business uh, development, it is that innovation, it is that cultural building of it. The industry is going to be more prominent. Event designers are going to have a more important seat at the table in organizations. They won't be seen as an expense line. They're going to be seen in those... It's a necessity. Necessity around building culture, necessity around driving innovation, necessity around driving revenues. And your lead event designer will be around that that chief executive table in in making sure strategic plans are being designed and executed properly for an organization. Mm -hmm. So I, I think our organization is going to have a much more important seat in in our overall business economy. Is there anything else that you want me to know? To me, when I look over the last two years, it just it reinforces what MPI is all about. It's, it is a value, it is a family, it's a community. And, and I can't tell you how proud I am of what they did for each other. The support our community came, how they rallied together, how they supported each other, how they to continue to volunteer because they knew that wasn't just for MPI, it was for their colleagues and their friends. And those who were less affected did so much to help those who were highly affected. And just really proud of what this organization did. And I, I feel privileged every day that I sit in the seat I do. I, I think I got the best job ever. What a great feeling. Yeah. Thank you so much for your time, Thank Paul. you. Always good to see you. Thanks for listening to Eventful, the podcast for meeting professionals. Be sure to rate and review us and subscribe. Check back for new episodes soon.